0: Now, Asia first on CNA 938. This is Asia First. I'm Andrea Heng and I'm joined now by my colleague John Leong from TV for a special segment this morning. It's a new record. Singapore's resident total fertility rate has dropped to below uh, or rather below 1.0 for the first time ever. Now, according to preliminary estimates, uh, our total fertility rate fell to 0.97 in 2023. And just to give you an illustration, this is a further decline from the previous record of 1.04 in 2022 and 1.12 in 2021. But we're not the only ones. Falling birth rates are a global phenomenon. Here in Singapore, we've rolled out a number of policies to help address some of those concerns surrounding parenthood and parental care. More are on the way, as announced by Minister in the Prime Minister's Office, Indrani Raja, in Parliament this week. She also highlighted the implications of a low birth rate in the long run for Singapore. Well, the same Miss Indrani Raja joins us now live in the studio. Once again, she's Minister in the Prime Minister's office. She's also Second Minister for Finance and Second Minister for National Development. Welcome back, Minister. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. So let's start with that total fertility rate being at a historic low. Uh, put it into context for us, Minister. How severe is this problem? Has there been any kind of modelling done to show that, um, you know, how long before the Singapore-born population starts to decline? What's at stake if this continues?
1: Well, a falling birth rate has serious implications for any country, but even more so for a small country like Singapore. If nothing is done and the birth rate continues to fall and your population ages, um, the consequences are this. One, you won't be able to support the economy as it is, unless you increase uh, naturalized citizens or or bring in uh, foreign workers. or you accept that we have a smaller base and then the economy shrinks. Um, Neither of these are the most desired outcomes that we want. What we would really hope for is to have a strong Singapore population and many more Singaporeans born. So that's the challenge we have to address and to see how we can encourage Singaporeans to have more children, but also to support them in doing so.
2: So you you, you laid out the quite dire consequences, you know, if, if Singaporeans don't have babies essentially. Um, and we're at 0.97 currently. Ha- has there been um, any country that has managed to pull up the rate a little bit?
1: There have been countries that have managed to pull up briefly. But if you look at the trends over time... Um, you will see that this is a global phenomenon uh, where the birth rates are trending downwards. And I think we have to ask ourselves, what are the reasons? In the local context, there are some reasons which are temporal, meaning probably short term. Mm. Uh, One of this is the impact of COVID because COVID ended up delaying marriages. And obviously, if the marriages are delayed in Singapore context, most, uh, you know, family formation would be delayed as well. The second impact that COVID had was it delayed our BTO construction schedule. And many Singaporean couples would prefer to have their flat before they have children. So the the good news on that score is that we're catching up. We've caught up with 80% of our construction schedule. We're on track to complete 100,000 units by 2025 right? So those are the, the temporary ones. But the larger global phenomenon is young people are not prioritising marriage, uh, or even if they want to, to marry, um, they defer having children. So that is a combination of reasons. I think it's a generational outlook, it's it's attitudes towards life in that sense that I've got many things that I want to, to do first, um, and you know there's also career opportunity costs, especially for women yes so if if you want to address this part, then you have to see how you can support uh, young, young people to to meet, to marry, and to to have children.
0: Mm. further uh, into this issue, and I think you brought this up briefly as well, where you're talking about the migrant worker population, the, the the migrants that come in, what impact would our low fertility rate have? on immigration as a whole. I mean, we currently top up our working population with immigrants to mitigate some of those effects of the low TFR. Would there be a need to relook the proportions if the Singapore population declines further due to the low birth rate?
1: Well, the serious question we would have to ask ourselves is what sort of growth do we want mm. and what, sort, what size economy because if you want to maintain the the size of the economy, and if you want to achieve growth, then you will have to top up, because you you can't achieve you know that trajectory of growth with the same numbers. But if, but that also brings with it a, a sense that you have um, a migrant population that increases in numbers, uh, or more naturalized citizens, then you have a smaller Singaporean core, which, not. I mean, I think people would would uh, have a hesitation about that as well, but then the choice would be okay if you don't top up the numbers and you make do with a smaller core. Then it means a smaller economy, and Singapore won't be vibrant uh, as, as won't be vibrant as it is now. Mm. And those are the the tough choices facing us. And the way out of this really is to have more Singaporeans. So that brings me back to my original message, which is, you know, we do have to support Singaporeans in in family formation.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, in, in my conversations with my friends, um, some of whom have have one child, and I asked them, hey, why not? Why don't you have you know another baby or another child? And they say, no, you know, I, I I'll just have one. Yeah. I can shower this this child with all my attention, all my resources, go to this child, and and it seems like it is. Um, a desire to want to be the best possible parent or an excellent parent to this one child and they say, you know, I'll stop at one so I can devote all my resources to that. Um, is that a kind of unseen pressure that is sort of, you think, keeping people from having more children and what can you know the government do to address that?
1: That is certainly one of the reasons that has come up, I think, in the research and analysis which has been been done globally. Um, I'll make a, a brief comment on that before I move on to what we can do. Uh, for For... Um I think having children and how many children to have is very much a personal choice for parents. Um, but one thing uh, I hope that uh, couples and, and parents will consider is this when when you have one child, they don't have um a sibling to share mm. their their childhood and their life with um they it, when the parents are gone who does that person have unless that person has been able to to marry and form their own family and of course if you're going down that trajectory the person the, the child may not have that either but having siblings is, is a joyous thing yes. it, it's a wonderful thing and having a having family support is a great thing so that's just something that I hope that couples will will think about um, because it really is important for a, a child uh, to to have other family members so that that's one part of it but the the other uh, thing about what can we do right Think three things: one, support from government; mm. two, support uh, for the mums by the dads; and three, support from the employers, with a corresponding sense of reciprocal responsibility from the parents. So, for the for the government side, you know, we we had a whole slew of measures in budget twenty twenty three. Um, we increased the baby bonus. Um, we also announced. Uh, an increase in government paid paternity leave. Mm -hmm. Um, We increased the unpaid infant care leave. Um, We uh, enhanced the child development account. So what we're looking at now is to see when we can make government paid paternity leave mandatory uh, and also... Parents have been sharing with us that there is a time deficit. Mm. They, they need more time with their children. So we're looking to see how we can increase parental leave, but at the same time balancing the concerns of employers. Mm. Um, and MSF is also has been ramping up childcare places. And they recently, uh, at Budget 2024, we announced that there will be caps on the childcare fees. Mm. So that's the government side. But, you know, to all the dads out there, I think the mums would appreciate the support (laughs) because increasingly there's a recognition that parenting is a shared responsibility. And for the women, the opportunity cost is very high um, in terms of career, et cetera. And they would just appreciate the dads being there. But more importantly, from the child's point of view, all the research shows that children do better when the dads are invested emotionally. So uh, for you, John, please make sure that you are there for your for your kids. And finally, none of this is going to work uh, if we don't have the employers on board. Yes. Um, but employers will be concerned about their bottom line uh, and whether they can get their work done, right? Mm. So they need to have good HR practices which are progressive and the employees at the same time need to, you know, assure the employers that they won't. Take uh, they, they won't abuse this, won't take advantage of it and they have to work out a mutually satisfactory arrangement. Yeah,
0: to all of that, I say here, here, uh, <laughs> being a woman. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Minister, because we know that flexible work arrangements have been more crucial than ever. Uh, obviously, COVID brought that to light even more and um, the need to have babies will thrust that into the spotlight even more. What other workplace practices specifically can employers and co-workers even adopt to foster a more family-friendly environment? Because oftentimes, uh, it's not unusual to hear colleagues sort of snigger and almost be disapproving of uh, employees who are parents and, oh, I have to take leave to do this and that. And children at a young age, and and John can attest to this, I'm sure – at, that, at a particular age range, they fall sick very often because they're building their immunity. So how can workplaces then um, really make sure that that culture of supporting parents is there?
1: That's a really good question because, you know, you can have mandated leave, mm-hmm. that's one. Then there's flexible work arrangements in order to, be, to give you a sustainable system of time off. But all of that... Um, won't, won't help if your entire workplace culture is not supportive. And that can range from uh, simple things like, huh, you've got to take maternity leave again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or, you know, okay, if you're going to take uh, time off for, for paternity leave, who's going to cover for you? I mean, th- th- sometimes some reactions are like, why do you even have to take childcare leave, which is not helpful. Mm. So y- we need a progressive workplace culture. We, we need companies to see this as, to see being family friendly, not as an imposition and a burden, but actually a competitive advantage. If you have good family practices and um, a family friendly culture and are supportive of your employees, chances are you're going to have much better talent recruitment and talent retention which is going to follow on into your company performance. But there are other simple things just like having lactation rooms, for example. Lewis Heung has been talking about this in in Parliament and every session he asks me you know, (laughs) uh, when and I I keep saying we're we're reviewing but we really are reviewing the building code. But even if you don't have the space for a a lactation room, you could get a lactation pod Mm. and those are available for either purchase or for hire and uh, BCA has uh, access accessibility fund that building owners or tenants can tap on. Um and so it's it's the small things actually that matter sometimes yeah. even more than you know the, the the big things. And if somebody has to go home on time in the in the evening, um and not stay late, don't look at them like they're <laughs> taking a half day off, you know? <laughs> like but, how
0: dare you? <laughs> yes, that's right.
1: So I think Having a supportive culture, whole of society, mm. a supportive culture would make a difference. Mm. Absolutely.
2: It's interesting you, you bring up the, the so-called small things, because when I travelled to Australia, and, and I, I travelled to Australia a couple of years ago when my kids were still pretty young, um, toddler age, and everywhere you go, there would be a nursing room, there would be a place to change nappies, and it was such um, a breeze, really, to travel with the kids in that kind of Worry-free
0: for you, exactly. right? Exactly. I mm. mean,
2: for me, my wife, not so. <laughs> I try to help, I try to help. Uh, But yeah, so so coming back to the small little things. However, I think there are certain industries and and certain job vocations that may not be able to do that, or so they think. Um, How can we tailor these approaches so that every industry or every kind of company, big or small, can deploy such solutions?
1: So you brought up a really good point because you can't have one size fits all. Mm. Um, Every sector is different. And even within the sector... Uh, Companies in the same sector may have very different uh, corporate practices and norms. So I think that the the general principle has to be um, work out something that works for A, your industry and B, for your organisation. And the starting point for that should be, I think, to start with a conversation with your employees and ask them, what would really work for you? Because for for some sectors, work from home is fine. Mm. But if you are working in security, if you are a nurse, um, if you know, you're front-facing, you can't really work from home. You have to be there and present. So for those kinds of jobs, flexi-hours uh, or coming in some days and then having arrangements for somebody else to cover – um, rather than ad hoc arrangements that you, you you make it part of the system, that would be really helpful. Mm. Um, so everybody has to, every company I think has to design their own practice, but design it in conversation with your employees because they are the ones who will tell you what really what, what they really need and what will work.
0: Absolutely. Um, so you brought up also uh, that shout out to dads. Yes. <laughs> very important. Mm. And uh, John is working on it very hard. Um <laughs> I, this is a thing right where um, you want to be able to see fathers shoulder that 50/50 role often it's said that yes moms are the more nurturing um, part of the equation that's why you know the kids run to the moms first and and all that uh, scientific evidence but there's as you said there's scientific evidence of stronger child development with the involvement of dads so we are seeing improvements uh, I dare say of paternal involvement in, in children's lives, but how can we encourage them to be even more involved to the point where, okay, I'm really visibly seeing a 50-50 load shouldering um, and, and it's not going to be 50-50 all the time, right? It's it's not going to be as seamless as that. It's not as black and white as that. So, But how can we at least bring it to levels where there's some 50-50 balance in the marriage um, in terms of the parental
1: role? Really good question. Um, I think the the good news is dads seem to be making that transition if you just look at the take-up rate for paternity leave. Um, when we first started out, very low take-up rate. Uh, now much better, it's crossed the 50% mark. But crossing 50% is not good enough because you know you really hope that all dads will will take it right, so the, the 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 good the good news is that more dads seem to be on board, um, but we need to do more, mm. and I think for that to happen, two things: one, employers must be supportive, because I remember a CNA article I spoke about this in in my speech, where the dad wanted to take paternity leave and his line manager, uh, you know, was was very discouraging, uh, so that should not happen. But the other thing is, um, I think for dads, just to realize that. The mums need you and your kids need you. Yeah, the kids need you. Yes. I, I'm not sure we will actually get to 50-50 realistically, <laughs> um, but we should definitely work towards that. Um, and I think when we, when we review our uh, parental leave provisions, uh, we will see how we can design it such uh, to encourage dads uh, to, to do more.
2: I just want to delve into that a little bit. Um, What kinds of areas are you looking at in terms of that encouragement, in terms of your policies? How are you going to nudge employers just that little bit more?
1: Well, um, you remember we we doubled the paternity leave by, by two weeks, right? And that came into effect at the beginning of this year. But that's still voluntary. So last year, DPM Lawrence Wong signaled that we will be making it mandatory at some point. Um, and the message to the employers is that's probably going to happen sooner rather than later. So it would be a really great idea to make use of this intervening period uh, to start getting ready. Mm. In other words, don't wait for it to become mandatory before you do it because this should be a testing period and and you work, you work it out. So that's 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 one part of it. Then the other part of it would be to see you know what else we can do in terms of parental leave um, that would be applicable to dads as well. Um, I mean, both mums and dads. But that part we are reviewing and seeing how we can do it in a way that would allow the employers to come on board uh, willingly, mm. because employers also keep coming back to us to say that you know, if you keep imposing more and more uh, on us, it's very difficult for us how we're going to run our businesses, yeah. etc. Mm. So you can see how just from a description of this, that it's not going to work unless there is a, a collaboration between the employers and the employees and you also need very progressive mindsets on the part of the corporate leaders mm. and the bosses mm. yeah. so
2: from what you you just mentioned it seems like a lot of companies may not even know where to start so That's whether right. it's back in hr you know practices is that something that we can do more of perhaps you know maybe coaching or looking into how they can adjust um you know, rosters, for example, that suit that industry.
1: Yes, and uh, MOM actually has been working quite a bit on this um, in terms of the tripartite guidelines, which mm. I think they'll be sharing a bit more on in the Committee of Supply for MOM that's uh, coming up next week. Um, but I think companies can also uh, invest in getting their HR people. Um, to go for courses uh, to see how you can design your workplace practices better. Mm. so that would be an investment, but there will be a, a payback for the companies in terms of employee recruitment and retention mm. and just general employee morale right yeah because companies where your employers uh, your employees are happy obviously do better
0: exactly mm. and they will want to stay longer because that's where they're comfortable they're secure. And they have the right support measures yeah. in place if you're to taken care of. exactly, yeah. yeah, That's right. yeah. And it lends a, a lot to job security as well. Uh, Miss Indrani, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you back in the studio. Uh, a very, very a topic that's really quite close to my heart. Actually, I'm still deciding on whether to have kids. So <laughs> you might have convinced me a little bit more. Uh, but thank you once again for for joining us this morning. Uh, and uh, we hope to you know see more Singapore-born babies
1: soon. Thank you very much for having me and and don't don't, don't wait too long. Okay, (laughs) good advice there. (laughs) Ms Indrani Raja is Minister in the Prime Minister's
0: Office. She's also Second Minister for Finance and Second Minister for National Development.